Hello, hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited for today's guest because she is my personal podcasting coach, and she and I have been working together since last October, I believe it was, when I signed up for her course, Mic Drop. So you guys are going to love this episode. We get into remote work, traveling, podcasting, of course, monetizing your podcast, the audio boom that's going on right now, as well as uh, some human design. She is a reflector, which is just so interesting because it's such a rare type. And I think this is part of what makes her such a good coach is that She's just able to like reflect back what other people are good at and like what they need help on. And this just really amplifies her coaching abilities, in my opinion. And she is an amazing coach. So our guest today is Chelsea Rife. She is a mindset and podcasting coach, helping creatives, coaches, and entrepreneurs launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts. Her focus is on compelling content strategy, sustainable growth, and getting compensated for your creative genius. She hosts the top-rated podcast, In My Non-Expert Opinion, covering the roller coaster of entrepreneurship, the fun and chaos of travel, internet culture, and money, honey. When she's not podcasting or helping her clients become all-star podcasters, she's booking flights, watching nature documentaries, dancing, or Googling the closest beach to lay out. Not only is she an amazing coach and expert entrepreneur, she is so fun. Like you guys are going to love this conversation. She's funny. She's relatable. She's down to earth. And she is just such a fun person to chat to. So I am really excited to hear what you guys think. And I think that you're going to get a lot out of this episode. And as I said, she I cannot recommend working with Chelsea enough from the second that I had the idea of starting a podcast. It was, you know, on my notepad for a while and I was like, I don't even know how I would go about this. And then, you know, I got referred to Chelsea and from the moment that I was in her course, I was like, she just makes it so tangible. She gives you all of the tools and resources that you need. She also gives like she used to be a mindset coach, too. So she gives mindset tips, which I struggled a lot with imposter syndrome. So she helped me a lot through that. And she's a systems guru as well. Um, I call her the podcasting queen. She is absolutely just the best. So if you are looking to start a podcast, I highly recommend working with Chelsea. I will leave all of her info in the show notes, and I hope you'll enjoy this episode. And just a heads up, we might be taking a little bit of time off after this episode. I will be traveling for the next couple of weeks. Hopefully, I'm able to do a remote interview and get you guys an episode in the next couple of weeks. But if not, we will definitely be back by next month at the latest. So Love you all. Thank you so much for listening and would love to hear your feedback on this episode. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited to be joined today by Chelsea Rice, who I call the podcasting queen. She is also my podcasting coach and she's just a guru for all things podcasting. So welcome, Chelsea. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. And what a full circle moment that we get to chat on your podcast. I know it's amazing. And you're actually like one of the biggest inspirations for me actually starting and like following through with the podcast. So thank you for that. And I yeah, I just look up to you so much with podcasting. You're the best. You're doing amazing. Seriously, you're crushing it. So I'm happy to have you as a client. <laughs> you are the best and I actually just feel like we would get on well as like friends too it's like every time we chat I'm like I just want to hear about your life <laughs> <laughs> I know that happens a lot with my clients which is good because I'm like oh I'm attracting people I get along with and then sometimes I'm like okay wait we need to talk about podcasting not our weekends but we'll regroup later on that 
Yeah, exactly. I'm like, okay, I know we have a lot to talk about, but I also, how are your travels? <laughs> um, but actually speaking of, I know you're on a remote year program right now. I think you just got back from Ibiza. How yes. was that? Yeah, literally this morning, touched down from Ibiza. Actually, not even this morning. This is like probably five hours ago. Just got back. Um, it was incredible. We did Mallorca and then Ibiza. And I realized this trip, Ibiza was way better because we stayed in a different part of the island and we were a bigger group. So we were able to split things more. So we had like nicer accommodation. We could get tables at the clubs, which again, divided by 16 people is really cheap. Um, the Airbnb was just super nice because the cost was just so much cheaper. And I've done Ibiza in the past and hated it. Like I really did not want to go on this trip to Ibiza. And I think my mind is now changed. I'm actually an Ibiza fan. So it just showed me that location matters, who you go with matters, your budget, like all that does affect travel. So I'm an Ibiza fan now. Absolutely. Well, we love to hear that. <laughs> I went to, um, what's the island? It's off of Greece. Um, party Island. Mykonos. Yeah, I went there and like stayed at this party hostel one time. It was literally like a tent with oh. like cops inside and uh, yeah i'm just like oh my god yeah no wonder that trip was such a shit show <laughs> yeah literally like you think oh well whatever it's mykonos it's greece it's ibiza and then depending on where you stay and your accommodation setup it couldn't make or break the whole trip yeah so were you did you take that time off in ibiza or were you working remote still there yeah i was working remote ibiza was over the weekend so i definitely was not working and then Mallorca, I had already planned to work just a little bit, like an hour a day, not even really. Um, and a lot of things I can do for my phone. So like if we were out to dinner or walking around, like I could just check stuff really quickly on my phone. So it was nice to actually have the time off. That's awesome. How has it been adjusting to remote work while traveling? I know you've done this before, but how has it been this time around? Oh my gosh, this time is so different. So I studied abroad 10 years ago. And that was really different because we were taking classes while we were studying. So everybody in the group had the same exact schedule, pretty much. It was like you take classes on these days at these times. And then we always had, I believe, Thursday and Friday off. So we would all plan our trips between Thursday and Sunday. So it was longer term, like they call it slow travel when you're traveling, you know, for more than a few days or weeks at a time. So that was really cool because everyone had the same schedule. So you're like, OK, we can all plan this stuff together. Then I did a five week Euro trip last year and it was so much different. Like, you know, being a solo female traveler already is different. But then every few days trying to pick up and pick a new spot to go was just a lot of brain power. The decision making and then like looking into the flights and realizing the airport's actually an hour away from the city center. So you have to get a train. And then when you get there, you can't check in till 3 p.m. Like it was just chaotic. So I remember that Euro trip last year. I'm like, if I do that again, I'm planning everything to a T or I'm just going to do it a different way. And that's why I actually chose remote year because it's kind of like study abroad for adults where it's a bunch of remote workers and you're all traveling together, but you don't have to take care of accommodation. You don't have to take care of the flights in between the spots. We have a co-working space. So it's a lot different in that like my brain power is more opened up because I'm not doing all the travel planning. Yes, my own little side trips, like the trip I just did to Mallorca and Ibiza, I had to plan. But it's just such a different experience. Um, I will say adjusting is hard because you do feel like you're on holiday all the time. Everyone is around my age, give or take a few years. We all kind of work remote hours. We have like the same lifestyle. So you're constantly like, okay, I know I have to work, but like everyone is going to this rooftop to grab drinks right now. Or like they're all going to a cooking class or look, they're all going on this one day trip to Ibiza this weekend. Like I want to join them. So it's really hard to say no. There's a lot of FOMO. I've learned a lot about boundaries. I literally just ended being sick. I actually think I'm still a little bit sick. And you know, like I had to reschedule this interview a million times because of my throat. And that's because I haven't really had great boundaries. And I think it's hard because you're like, I'm never going to be with this group of people again in these countries. And that FOMO does start to kick in. So you have to really, really practice like patience and boundaries and taking care of your health, which is something I am still learning. I have not 100% mastered that at all. Yeah, definitely. And I bet it's hard because you're 
I mean, you are there for longer periods of time, isn't it? Like a month per place now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's not as much as like, ooh, I have to fit everything in as it would be if you were there for only a week. But right. I'm I'm sure you still experience some of that and you want to like be in on all the social activities and all of that. Yeah. It's like instead of cramming it into a few weeks or a few days, you're trying to cram it into like four weeks. So it's just... And a more extended version of what you do. And I thought that would change when I came. I was like, oh, I can't wait to live like a local and slower pace of life and wake up and do all these things. And I'm like, no, it's pretty much like jam-packed social calendar. You have to constantly remind yourself you don't need to do something every single day. But it's it's definitely a work in progress, like adjusting to this lifestyle. Is it the same group of people that you've been traveling with? So I know you were in South Africa first and now you're in Spain. Is it the same people or do more people join in different places? How does that work? Yeah. So there's a core group that we all travel together. So we'll be on the same exact trip for the four months. Then there's now one month trips. So people will overlap and come for one month. Like next month we go to Portugal and I think there's six or seven one month people that are joining the trip. So they're just joining us in Portugal, but then our core group of 27 stays together throughout the next few months. Oh, that's awesome. That's a pretty big group, too. Yeah, it's a huge group. I'm actually shocked at how well we all get along and how great we've done with like no drama and no issues. Like I every day I say that I'm like, I just can't believe this big of a group of people has made it this far. We're almost seven weeks in now with like no real issues. And even in Visa, we just traveled to and we had 16 people and there were no hiccups. Everything ran smoothly. Like it was, it's a really great group. And it, it just shows me too that when people value the same things like travel and free time and remote work, you, it does become easier, right? Like I'm not going with a group of people that have never in their lives taken a flight or don't know how to convert currency and like all these different things that you just don't think about when you're traveling. And so to be able to do this with people that 27 of us that know how to do this, you're like, oh, okay, like, I don't have to be the planner all the time. I don't have to be the person that has to call these airlines or do this thing and that thing. And that's really a breath of fresh air. Yeah, that's so nice. That's so funny. 27 people. I'm just picturing like a reality show. Like, (laughs) I feel like you guys could be on. (laughs) My friend said that. So we overlapped with a 12 month group in South Africa. And he was like, you're gonna feel like at one point that you're in a reality show because it's just inevitable. Like people start hooking up. There's roommate drama. There's issues that you just don't foresee. And I'm like, it hasn't really happened yet. So um, of course, there's like been little things here and there, but nothing that's been like detrimental or earth shattering to the group at all. Right. It's been pretty smooth sailing. What are um, some of the your favorite things that you've done so far in places that you've been? Oh, my gosh. We did this thing called the Garden Route in Cape Town, South Africa. And it was this road trip where you just go all around the Western Cape and you just stop at different local road stop or road trip stops. And one of the coolest things we did there was bungee jumping. And I remember it was on the itinerary and it was optional. And I was like, I'm definitely not doing that. Like, that's cool. I'll watch people, but I'm not doing that. And then as it got closer and closer, I realized like not a lot of my group was going to do it. There were only probably six of us on this trip. And he was like, well, if we don't do that, we have to go to a different stop. So basically, I need to know if you're doing it or not, or we just skip that stop altogether. So then I was kind of like, the FOMO thing kicks in where you're like, okay, you're in South Africa, you're with all these people, like, this is a once in a lifetime thing. If we don't do this stop, we just skip it. And so I was like, okay, I'm gonna do it. Like, let's just sign up and do it. So I ended up being one of the people that kind of led the charge to go bungee jumping. And then I wanted to go first and just volunteer and get it over with. And then as soon as I got up there, I was like, what did I just get myself into? Like, this is insane. And you're just sitting there and they're wrapping up your ankles and you're looking out over a ledge and there's nothing there but like mountains. And you're like, am I really about to do this? And I ended up doing it. So that was probably one of my favorite memories. Also, just because it's something I've never done. I've done a lot of other things, but not anything close to bungee jumping. That was one of my favorites. Um, And I think also just the lifestyle I'm building and being able to sustain it, it's not a favorite spot or thing, but it's really cool to be able to say like, yeah, I can wake up and go to the beach and swim and go on a bike ride and get lunch and then start my day and not feel guilty. It's really something I've had to decondition from corporate America is like, I do not have to start my day at 9am. 
And that's been one of my favorite parts is now, you know, we're seven weeks into this trip and it's showing me that this is a lifestyle that I can definitely sustain. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I love that you mentioned deconditioning as well. And I know that you're a reflector. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Like, do you resonate with that? And how does that affect your life? Like since finding out that you're a reflector? Oh, I definitely resonate with it because one of the things that reflectors are known for are being um, kind of like shapeshifters and they just kind of meld into the energy they're around. And I used to take that as a really bad quality about myself. I was like, oh my gosh, do I have no real like standards or beliefs or expectations? And I like, I don't like the thought of just being a chameleon. And I was taking it to be a chameleon in the way of like, you don't have a personality or a backbone or you just kind of mesh in with the group and you don't have anything to say. And when I read more about it and got a reading, it's more like you you do a good job of adjusting to the people you're with. And so I started to look at that as more of a superpower versus a hindrance. And I think that resonated a lot with traveling is like, I, I didn't realize this was a strong quality about me, but making friends no matter where I go. And my mom was like, that's, you always make a good friend whenever you travel. That's really rare to be able to find someone even on a four day trip that you're still in touch with. And that happens a lot where I'll make a friend on a very quick trip. And I think that comes from being a reflector and being able to like read people's energy and mirror back to them. And I think that's why I connect with people pretty quickly. Um, Also environment is like the number one thing for reflectors. And I remember specifically when I lived in Germany, feeling so off the entire time, like the first month I was just like, okay, this is not my place, but maybe it's the apartment. Maybe it's because I don't know the language. It's the weather. I think it was all those things. It was also a lockdown in Germany, which was not a a fun experience at all. But I remember even when things started opening up and I could go to a cafe and work, I remember feeling like so excited to be at this cafe and working. And there were just books and plants and sunshine. I'm like, this this feels like overly joyful to the point of it started to make me realize how important my work environment is. And just sitting at my desk every day and working in my tiny dark room in Germany was like, I mean, I don't think anyone would enjoy that, but it really, really affected me. And it got to the point where eventually I had to leave Germany because I was like, this isn't working. No matter how many plants I get for the apartment, no matter how much artwork I get, no matter if I change up my routine, it is my environment. And it just showed me the importance of really making that a priority and not compromising on that anymore. And I think being a reflector helps me own that now because spaces and people and like the energy around, you take that on because all your energy centers are open. So I need space to be around people, but also kind of have my own cocoon and like recharge and, you know, cleanse myself. So I think the moral of the story here, too, is that I need to live by a beach at all times. Yeah, absolutely. Environment is so important to me, too. It's funny you say the cafe thing, because whenever I'm feeling like uninspired, if I just go to a cafe, like feeding off everyone else's energy, and it gives me so much because um, I'm a projector. So, I mean, it's different from a reflector, but it's similar in that we're non-energy types. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we got to feed off the energy of the other people. Yeah, exactly. And like curating your space to be like that. I think for a long time, I felt not guilty, but like, oh, just deal with it type of energy. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you, whatever. You don't like this apartment, like just deal with it. Just buy artwork. Like, who cares? You don't like where you live? Just deal with it. And I'm like, why? Like, this is my own life. Why would I have to just deal with it? I get to design the life I want to. So now, especially as I get older and build this remote lifestyle and being a reflector, I'm like, I'm not sacrificing on environment anymore. Like that has to be one of my top priorities. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, there's a certain amount of energy that comes with every place, right? Like not even just the place, like the city, but also the apartment and like, you know, the coffee shop, the bedroom, whatever it is. And I mean, you can't really change that at a certain point. It is what it is, right? And I think that's that's awesome that you're just building your dream life. I love it. Yeah, it's it's weird too when you're doing it because you're like, wait, this is exactly what I envision my life to be. And when you're in it, you're like, wait, is this it? Like, this is... This is happening and it actually just happened this weekend where my whole background of my phone wallpaper 
I follow all these Mallorca accounts on Instagram because it's just a beautiful island. And I always save the images and made a mood board on my phone. And so they're all kind of just like by the beach or like restaurants on the beach or on the water. And they're just gorgeous, really like Mediterranean lifestyle images. And then when we were in Ibiza this weekend, we got to a beach and I was like, this is just crazy. It looks exactly like my wallpaper. And like, we're really here. We're at this beach club. We are eating on the water. We are spending our day here. And I just took a photo and I'm like, this literally looks like exactly one of the photos on my mood board. And it's happening. It's here. So it's it's really cool to be living it. But it's also, I think, something a lot of people don't talk about is it's really hard to digest and like accept that it's happening because you have this idea that when you hit it, that you're going to have this like internal celebration and it's going to feel like an adrenaline rush or butterflies. And it's just low steps over time that get you there. And that doesn't really cause that much dysregulation in my body. So it's just weird that when you're in it, you're like, oh, yeah, we're here. (laughs) Yeah, no, I like that you mentioned it's small steps to getting there. And also, like, once you're there, it's almost like you're, you know, you're yearning for the perfect job or the perfect relationship. And then once you get there, you're like, oh, like, what now? You know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) what's next? I always talked about my therapy. I still talk to my therapist about this of like, then what? And she always pushes me to answer that question. I'm like, oh, well, you know, I just have this goal to make this amount of money and have this many vacations and da da da. And she's like, okay, and then what? I'm like, um, I guess I would want another vacation and like maybe I would want this and maybe I'd want a family. Okay, then what? And so it just made me realize the nature for always wanting more probably is never going to go away. So just relax and and calm down that like it's never going to be complete like that's the point of life is like it's not complete until it's over yeah I love that and it is so funny because I feel like at a certain point you know like when a therapist or someone is asking about that it's like well I don't know like I need to wait until like a few more things happen and then I'll figure out the next one (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I yeah I love that because then she was pushing me to realize like I make up all these arbitrary timelines and a lot of entrepreneurs do this where you're just like, I have to be a millionaire by 35. I have to make $100,000 in my first year of business. And you're like, okay, what? Why? And then what? And I think that challenging question does help me realize like, what am I doing that for and why to not so, not put so much pressure on myself and burn out? So it's a good question to think about, but it definitely makes you be like, yeah, I do need to think about it. Like, I do really need to understand these deeper layers of why I want these things. Absolutely. I love that you just brought up like money mindset and manifesting too. It's like, yeah, I feel like there's so much pressure in our world to become like, if you are an entrepreneur to make, you know, six figures in the first year or two. (laughs) It's like, if you don't, then you might as well just quit while you're ahead. (laughs) Right. And it's like, and it's so funny to me because I had this realization probably in the last few weeks where I'm like, most people want to make a certain amount of money to live a certain lifestyle and have more time. So I'm like, how can you just start doing that right now? Like if you if you want to become a millionaire so you can live by the beach and have, I don't know, not have to work 40 hours a week, what can you do right now? Like maybe you already live close to a beach. Maybe you you move and you move to closer to a beach. Maybe that's just a goal in the next three years. I'm going to live by a beach. Or your hours, if you have the chance to change up your hours, start thinking about a pricing model where you don't have to work 40 hours a week. Start taking on higher ticket clients and less people so you have less working hours in the day. And I think that's something a lot of people miss is like, we want, again, to make the $100,000 in the first year because we think that's going to buy us this lifestyle that we see. But you could start creating that lifestyle right now. And that's something I, like I said, I'm digesting right now because full transparency, I'm actually not on track to make six figures this year. But the lifestyle I'm living right now is exactly the lifestyle I've wanted for since the day I quit my job. So I'm like, why would it matter? It's kind of just an ego thing. Like, why does it matter if I don't make six figures if I'm literally living in Europe, having the time of my life and living the lifestyle I've always wanted to? And I think that's a good question to think about for anybody that's struggling with the same thought process. Yeah, absolutely. It's like you are living your dream life And why would you like, why would you crave money that you don't need? Like if you already have everything you need, that's keeping you afloat, gives you all the extra spending time and like 
energy for exploring like why do you need more it's it's a, it is an ego thing and it just becomes like selfish or greedy at a certain point you know and and here's the thing i don't want to deter people away from wanting to make more because i do think like right now if i made more money i could hire more people i could bring on my va full time i could provide insurance benefits to people i work with you know what i mean like i do think there's space for more abundance and doing good with it but also i think I hate when people try to make this certain income at the expense of like their own mental health, their mm -hmm. relationships, their personal health. And they're like, no, I'm hell bent on making $100,000, but they're not paying attention to like their anxiety levels or the how much, you know, when was the last time they actually talked to their family? Like, those are the things where I'm like, let's start looking at, again, the quality of your life and relationships before you chase this money goal that's going to lead. It's not going to feel good if you get there, if you're like in the hospital. Right, exactly. And then again, it's like once you do get there, what have you already just like burned a bunch of bridges and your mental health is in shambles? Right. Like that's, that's not, not worth, worth it. it. <laughs> and then you're just going to be paying for hospital bills and therapists and nutritionists. It's like start taking care of your health and your relationships and your quality of life now. So when you do hit those numbers, it's just a natural, it's just enhancing things. It's not like some life altering, again, earth shattering thing that's going to flip your world upside down. Mm -hmm. um, so I do want to rewind a little bit back to, I know you've had your podcast since 2017. How has it evolved? And at what point did you decide to go full-time with podcasting? It's evolved a lot. It probably evolves like every six months. I would say the original concept of it, I was living in Chicago and I was working in corporate America. And at this point I had been really into health and wellness. So it started out very heavily focused on that. I was interviewing people about breath work and meditation and tarot readings and my chiropractor. She was my first episode ever. She's my first interview. And that was constantly the focus was like health and wellness. Then as I just started getting older, things started shifting. And as you interview people and you meet people, they would say, oh, you should interview my cousin. They do this. You should interview my mom. She does this. So then it kind of started turning to like dating and relationships and lifestyle and then I started getting really into that content then what happened actually because I didn't ever take this seriously as a, a real job or hobby or anything it was just kind of a creative outlet I stopped recording for a long time and I was like well that's it you know I did it I gave it a shot I did like 20 episodes or something great and then I stopped recording I want to say for four to six months and I just realized I missed it so much. Like, I truly was like, I feel incomplete without having this creative outlet. So I picked the mic back up. I got back into it. And then I started interviewing a lot of people in the spiritual world. So there's a lot of content in like the middle of my podcast where you'll see it's so many different people from shamans to mediums to psychics to spiritual advisors. And that was a lot of the content. And then lately, because of my lifestyle and quitting my job and, you know, getting into entrepreneurship, it's a lot about entrepreneurship, money, travel, remote work. And I think it's nice because I feel like podcasts are almost this like diary of your life. Like it's cool to go back now and see five years ago that like at one point I was really into these topics and then it shifted to this thing and now it's that thing. And I, I don't have to like delete any of it to fit my current day version of me. Where sometimes I feel like that on Instagram where I'm like, oh, that image, like, that's like not me anymore. Like, I don't like I don't speak like that or I don't do that anymore. For some reason for podcasting, I don't feel that at all. I've never deleted an episode. I've never even like with ex-boyfriends or like episodes that I don't know, I didn't really exactly love. Like they're still up and running because I'm like, I feel like it's kind of this diary of your life, which is really cool. Um, so, yeah, that's how it's evolved. And then what was the other question? When did you decide to go full-time with podcasting? So to be honest, like when I quit my job, I didn't realize how hard full-time podcasting would be because to sustain yourself just as a podcaster, you would need a lot of brand deals or like an exclusive deal with a network or some type of just insane audience that is like keeping you afloat with Patreon or something like that, like paywalled access. So I wouldn't even call myself a a full-time podcaster right now because my income from brand deals does not sustain me. It's actually coaching. So coaching is how I am able to still podcast and do all the things I love. So yeah, I don't know that it, 
it's kind of hard to answer because I'm like, I almost don't consider myself a full-time podcaster, but I would say I took it really seriously in 2020 when the pandemic hit and I was, I had already committed to doing weekly episodes, but that was the point where it was like, okay, you have the skills, you know, you like to do this, you're creative, like it's time to really commit to this. And I think that's when I made the decision. It was about a year later, actually, to start teaching people how to podcast. And that's when I started feeling like, okay, podcasting is like my thing. And that that was probably like, yeah, a year or two ago now. And I know that actually one of the things that initially sparked my curiosity and following through with my idea of podcasting was uh, the fact that you talked about the massive audio boom and how it's like the best time to start a podcast right now because um, of of this audio boom. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I always um, tell people to just watch where investments go and like what announcements are being made within media and you can just see where money is flowing to. So in the past year or two, if you follow any type of media news, like so much has happened. Spotify keeps buying exclusive deals with major podcasters like Alexandra Cooper of Call Her Daddy, like Joe Rogan. Like these these deals are not small at all, which shows you the, the financial backings of these deals it was no small decision. So they had to have a very serious conversation internally of like, where are we putting our money to and putting, you know, millions and millions and millions of dollars to exclusive deals to me signals that they thought about, remember Spotify first and foremost is a music streaming platform. So the fact that they started offering these insane mega exclusive deals showed me that, okay, if a music streaming service is putting all that money into podcasting, it's going to only get bigger and bigger. Um, We see this now as podcast networks popping up. If you look at the Skinny Confidential, Michael and Lauren's, actually it's Michael Bostick's company, it spun off from his wife having a blog and starting a podcast. And then they realized the insane value of podcasting and they started a whole podcast network. So I'm like, if you look at Again, just how people, the trajectory of like these audio investments, they, they're all going really well and people just keep investing in them. They keep getting bigger. There's all these now, like it's, you look at hosting platforms, they keep rolling out new tools or buying analytic companies. So I just follow the news a lot within audio and media. And every time I follow it, there's like another huge deal coming out with audio. Um, I don't know if anyone notices this, but in the Washington Post now, you can actually hit play and it will like read the article to you. So like little things like that I notice and pick up and I'm like, that didn't exist a year or two ago, which just shows me again that people are craving audio in a different way. Um, Even Dipsy, I don't know if anyone knows what Dipsy is. It's like an erotic storytelling app. It's kind of like audio porn. And I'm like, they blew up and they became this huge investment as well. So I just like following audio news like that and seeing how much money gets poured into these investments just again shows us that audio really is continuing to boom and have a really great trajectory absolutely and i think it's nice because it can be like snackable in terms of like small little news tidbits and also you could be doing like 10 other things you know you can be like washing the dishes cleaning your apartment driving whatever and you can still be tuning in and getting that information Um, And yeah, as multitaskers, obviously, it is very appealing. Yeah, if you think about the attention span of anyone these days, it's just shorter. So the fact that we don't have to sit down, pick a video, hit play, watch it through, read the transcript. It's like you said, it's a very passive way of ingesting information, which in a world that loves to multitask, like you said, and do all these things, it's just an incredible platform. I love that. And I'm so excited to be finally podcasting and having you on. This really does feel so full circle. I love Um, it. Yeah, no, I love it too. And I'm curious if someone is trying to monetize their podcast. I know you talk about a lot lot about this as well. Do you have any tips for um, like securing some monetization or like the first steps to getting there? Yeah, I can walk you through some like simple ways that I suggest monetization. And then I have a new hot take that I would love to share because I can see this kind of uh, brewing in the space of podcasting and, and content creation that I'm like, oh, wait, 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 we need to have a conversation. So first and foremost, just simple ways to monetize um, is using your business to monetize, right? Using your podcast as an extension of your business. 
So for example, using um, your podcast as a funnel into selling your course and then people buy spots to your course, to me, that's monetizing. You're making money off of the content that you just created. If you want to be more direct with it, like literally getting paid to create content as an influencer or content creator, that would be a brand deal partnership where you reach out to the brands or their agencies and you secure a deal The you know, you make X amount of ads for your podcast or on your social media, and then you get paid a fee. That's another way to do it. Um, you could also do affiliate links where you get paid a commission off of how many people buy from your link. So you hear this all the time on podcasts with like HelloFresh or BetterHelp or Blue Apron. Um, those are usually affiliates where, again, if someone signs up with your link, you will get paid out. That's a really easy way to make money off of it. Paywalled content. So if anyone signs up to Patreon or if you subscribe to someone's Substack newsletter and you pay for that, that's an example of paywalled content where you're paying for a premium, whether that's bonus episodes or maybe someone is doing like one-on-one coaching with you on air. It could be listener-only Q&A questions or a Q&A episode. Those are things that you could put behind a paywall. And usually, again, it's like premium content or bonus content that is very exclusive that no one has access to unless they pay for it. So those are some of the traditional ways, I would say. You could also, um, this would be to me, if you have like a bigger audience or a more local saturated market audience, you could do a live event. So you could rent out a venue and do your podcast live and sell tickets to it. Um, That's, we see that a lot. Like there's always podcasters that are on tour, which I think is really cool. And you can make money that way. Merchandise. So if you have a very specific brand and you can make hoodies and water bottles and stickers, that's a really fun way too, if you want physical product and kind of a fun way to to brand yourself. Um, There's so many different ways. So yeah, those are just a few of them. And then the hot take I have is if you have a business, so this is very specifically to like business owners and, and people that are thinking of starting a podcast to help with their business, you need to stop chasing brand deals in lieu of trying to retain more clients. I see this push for people to like, I want to get a big brand deal. I want to get a brand deal. And I'm like, based on where you're at and, and the content you put out in your analytics, the maximum I could see someone making from a brand deal is like, as a newer podcaster is like $1,000. Where in reality, business owners have high ticket offers, right? They're selling a course for $999 or they have a $5,000 package or something. And they're like not thinking about how to create content to attract people to sell those spots. And they're like chasing these one-off brand deals. The thing with brand deals too is you have to remember you're reporting to a brand manager or someone at the brand. So if you have three brand deals, that's like having three mini bosses with three different agendas. You have a health brand and a fitness brand and something else. And they're all like, no, we want you to say it this way. We want you to put it in this creative tone. We want you to put it at the front of your podcast. And it's like, wait a second, I started my podcast because it's mine, right? Like, I don't want all these messages like infiltrating my brand and my content. So you either have to know how to negotiate and uh, get creative control of your content, which is something I, I do help clients with. I'm like very adamant about not letting brands take over control of your content. But also, again, being more strategic and zooming out. Do I want to make $500 from this brand one time in one month? Or do I want to sell three $5,000 packages to my high ticket offer that could sustain me for months and months and months without having to now figure out how to make this brand fit into my content? So that's something I think is really important. Again, if you're a business owner and you have a podcast, figure out a content strategy to help bring in clients and stop chasing down like one-off brand deals. Yeah, I love that tip. I mean, it just makes sense because it's like you're gaining clients and that's potentially like a lot more longer term income too because not only are they signing up for this one program maybe they'll be a long-standing client and be a repeat client and yeah with with the brand deals I mean it could be a long-standing relationship as well but I feel like it's more kind of on your terms with you know attracting clients so I love that hot take exactly Yeah, exactly what you said. It's more on your terms when you get to control your content. And I'm curious. So obviously you are an entrepreneur and you've had your business for several years. And I know you have segued from mindset coaching into podcast coaching as well. 
Um, have you had a business coach or someone that um, has helped you along the way? How have you gone through these changes in your business? Oh, yeah. In the very beginning, before I even was really doing mindset coaching, I was in this six-month mastermind. Um, and it was with a group of people that were also starting businesses or like courses. It was basically a course on how to create a course. And I was like, oh, it's helpful because I have all these ideas, but I don't know how to structure it. So that program really helped me with creating a course. Um, later, there were some things that I did not like about the program. I thought the sales tactics were really harmful and predatory, and I didn't like any of the strategies they were doing. So it's not something I would like go back and repeat or recommend, but it was something that I was grateful for what I learned while I was there. It did help me like understand the foundations of certain things. And yeah, I've taken a billion courses. It actually got to the point, it got to the point one time where I was like, I'm burned out from taking courses. And there, I think everyone deals with this at one point when you start getting into investing in yourself or you're like, wait, I need to work on my health and my spirituality and my relationships and my business and my money and my and then all of a sudden you're in like 12 different courses about birth chart readings and podcasting and money mindset. And you're like, I actually have no space to retain this information. So that happened to me a while ago. And I quickly learned I really do best with like one on one coaches or shorter term, like quick fire programs, but like long drawn out six month programs with a group like those don't work for me. But I think it's trial and error. And I think everyone goes through that. And yeah, now I do have. um I've slowed down a lot on investments in myself and I'm actually turning more into investing in like the stock market and like my business and hiring people and softwares versus hiring help all the time. But now I realize what I do need to outsource and that's like help with my podcast. Um, I have a lot of creative ideas and I would love to start writing more. So like to me, okay, I need to figure out a writing coach or a writing practice or someone who can help me structure these ideas. And those are investments I'm making into myself now. Amazing. And if you had one investment that you would say is like your best investment that got you to kind of where you are today, what would it be? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. I would say, I would say there's two. One of my business coaches really helped me understand just how to make my business work for me. And her name is Rachel Turner. We worked together for a year and I remember taking her quiz and that's what got me hooked in her work where it's like you have really high highs and low lows. So like quick launches don't work for you. And I always tried to make myself launch within like a two week period of like I have to go hard for two weeks and do like all these Instagram lives and content and da da da. But that's not how my energy works. Like I am very high high. When I have a high high, I'm like content machine so clearly can speak. My thoughts make sense. When I'm low low, I'm like I'm done working. I'm like out of office, closing my laptop. And I used to really take that as a, I make that mean a lot about myself. I'm like, I'm a bad entrepreneur. I don't know how to do business. And she made me understand like, just have longer launches. And like, it's okay. It's okay to take three days off from your launch and then get back to it. So she helped me a lot with understanding like my energy levels and not having to produce at a high level all the time. And then I would say holisticism is a membership where I learned so much about copywriting and sales calendars and content creation and getting paid for it. Um, they really don't hold back when they give information and um, they do a lot of live classes so you can get live feedback, which I really appreciate because as you know, group programs or big communities are hard to get one-on-one -on -one attention and they do a really good job of making their members feel like they're getting that one-on-one -on -one attention. And yeah, this year I've learned so much from them and I would credit a lot of my success to like what I learned in that membership. And I'm still in it. That's awesome. I love, I mean, the first um, business coach you mentioned, it, it reminded me of the fact that you're a reflector too, because it does take like a moon cycle to process things. So that does exactly. make sense. And then also for holisticism, is that like a monthly membership or how does that work? Yeah, it's a monthly membership. They also have a free hub where you can just join and you can post, you know, about your services or connect with people and exchange information. So I highly recommend that hub if you don't have the financial means to join a membership right now. But the membership is jam packed with business information. It's also like a spiritual community. So they do Akashic Records reading swaps and they'll do birth chart readings for people and business birth chart readings. And it's just a really cool community because it showed me that I don't have to pick one or the other, which I used to feel like a lot. Like I have to choose being more spiritual and it's not business like to do that or it's not 
you know, it's not business savvy to be spiritual. And they are like, no, 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 we combine both. And I really love that about that community. Yeah, that's amazing. I just joined their free hub. So I'm excited to uh, be a part of that. And uh, yeah, I wanted to really quick, because this is just always a fun topic, ask if you have been dating at all on your travels. Oh my gosh, yes. I've been dating so much. It's weird because I don't date a lot ever. I've never been someone that's like, woo, one date a week, like, you know, going out on all these dates. But I was in a relationship last year for a year during lockdown and we lived together. So if anyone lived together with their partner during lockdown, you know, it's like being married. And so I'm like, even though we're together for a year, I felt like we were together for five. So when we broke up, it was just such a change in my reality. And I moved. That's when I went on the Euro trip. And then I moved back home um, to save some money because I wanted to be able to go on a trip again or travel. And then during that time at home, it's just weird to date when you're living at home with your parents. It's like, what are we going to like go buy? I'm leading back to my mom and dad's house or like <laughs> bye, mom and dad. I'm going on a date. So I was like, it was just weird. And like the hometown I'm from is not it doesn't really have a lot of people that I would like say that we have compatible lifestyles. Like I do live a very specific lifestyle, which kind of limits my dating pool a little bit and so being back home I wasn't dating at all I I would like try to and I'm just like "Mm, this isn't it so when I got here I was like you know what I'm gonna open up the dating apps give them a shot just see what happens and so yeah when I was in Cape Town I was like I'm gonna practice dating because for me dating too is not just like oh let me try to find a, a partner that I can get along with it's practicing like setting your standards and communication and being honest and saying something up front like hey, I'm only here for two more weeks. I just want to be communicative communicative about that and honest. And that's something that I really want to practice is like that open line of communication. So yeah, I consider right now I'm, I'm like practicing dating and I'm practicing speaking up for myself and communicating my needs. And yeah, I've been going on dates. I just went on one last week. I went on one the week before. Like I'm kind of averaging like one date a week, which is anyone that's listening to this that is, that is my friend is going to be like, what like it's just so uncharacteristic of me to be like this and even people in the group are like oh you're inspiring us to go on dates you're the one dating all the time I'm like it's just an identity I've never really aligned with is like being this like casual dater but it's kind of easy when you're on this trip because there is an end date where you're like we're just meeting and we're having fun and we're seeing you know what the vibe is so yeah it's pretty cool I've gone on a date with a South African a French guy an Irish guy a New Zealand guy I'm like Tasting the rainbow out here in in Europe. I love that. Yeah, getting to know what you like and what you don't. And um, I think it was Tinks who said that she always dates when she goes to different places because it's you enter in as like your most fun version of yourself because you're kind of like not thinking anything of it, right? No expectations. And I love that you said it's like practice because, yeah, you're just like, you know, voicing your boundaries and how you feel about a certain scenario or like even practicing rejecting people that can be really hard too. And so, yeah, I love that so much. And uh, have you been meeting people mostly on Hinge or has it been organic at all? Yeah, all on Hinge. I met one guy on Tinder. And the only thing with Tinder is like they don't really sell out their bios. So you're like, what am I supposed to do with this dog emoji and a beer? Like I can't. (laughs) decipher anything so yeah I switched a lot of my effort to hinge where they do have to fill out the prompts and there's way more information so yeah it's usually hinge um I would say I would like to meet more people organically and being out and about but because of our group we're always just traveling in like a big group of people so it's kind of hard because you're like I want to meet someone but I'm out with 16 people right now and you just naturally gravitate towards the people you've been with you know for six weeks so I'm like I either need to go out alone or with like a few other girls but it's I, I need to break away from we call we call the guys in our group when we're on a group panty blockers instead of <laughs> cock blockers. We're like, we need to get the panty blockers out of here because we're just like, again, it's just such a big group. It's obviously hard to approach anybody when you're in a group of like 20. That's hilarious. Panty blockers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get the panty blockers out. Yeah, no, I feel like that definitely could be intimidating with that big of a group. But also it's like built in. um that's the word I'm looking for, like wing people, you know? Yeah. So that is yes. nice too. If you're like going into it, like, okay, we're going to help each other out tonight. We're going to meet some guys. Yeah. That kind of has happened where the guys are like, okay, we'll try to help you guys. Like, we'll see what we can do. And like last night, actually, 
one of the guys like set up a girl at this concert and she went on his shoulders and they exchanged numbers and now they're texting and we're like oh finally like you guys are being our wingmen so yeah it's been really interesting and what's cool too about remember I said there's people that overlap with you for one month um I think our group was kind of like we don't want to hook up within the group and like make the dynamics weird so we're like if you're gonna do that like wait for a one month person to join because there's the expiration date and you don't feel like you're ruining the dynamic Mm -hmm. and so next month in Portugal we have like six new people coming so now we're like oh what are the one month people like like let's see if there's any options because also again it's just the lifestyle like I said my lifestyle is limiting my pool a little bit but when you meet people on this trip you're like oh you get it like you I don't have to explain this to you you understand remote work and like picking up and leaving really quickly in different places so I feel like it would be cool to meet someone on the trip. So we'll see if that happens. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been so fun and I'm so grateful that you joined me. And I would love for you to go over if you have any like special offers or anything you're promoting right now and how people should get in touch with you. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a few spots open for one-on-one coaching right now. So if you want to launch a podcast or grow it or monetize it, that's exactly what I'm here to do. I help with content strategy. We talk about pitching. We do a lot of editing together and figuring out, you know, what would make sense for your podcast. Because I think a lot of people start and then they like don't know how to sustain it or grow it. So that's something I'm here to help you with. And again, those two spaces are open right now. You can just head to my website. And of course, I'm sure you'll plug this in the show notes. And then Mic Drop, my launch course, which Liz actually took, is coming out again in October. So if you want to get on the wait list, I will send over a link to you. You can plug that in your show notes. And if you want to take it as a self-paced course and then just join the live live round, DM me at Chelsea Rife or email me info at ChelseaRife.com and I can send you the link to sign up and then you can just join us in the live round in October. So everything's on my website. Um, I'm also offering one-off consults too. Those are really just if you need like a quick hit of guidance or clarity. And again, those are just on my homepage, ChelseaRife.com. Yes, amazing. And I cannot recommend working with Chelsea enough between Mic Drop and one-on-one coaching. You have changed the game, helped me with mindset stuff, systems and organization and all things podcasting. So I just love you so much. And thank you. Grateful for you. Thank you. I love this conversation. I'm I'm glad we had this full circle moment talking on your podcast. Yes, me too. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening and we'll catch you next time. Bye. I hope you all loved this episode as much as I loved recording it. It was such a full circle moment. Like we said, just having her on my podcast when we've been through so much together. And I really loved our little tidbit on money mindset. I definitely want to do a deeper dive into money mindset. So would love to hear your thoughts on that and let me know what resonates. I always love hearing from you and I would absolutely love if you would leave me a written review on Apple Podcasts. It would mean the world to me. It helps increase my visibility on the platform and helps me engage more and grow my community. So I love you all so much and I will see you next time.